Tonight I am here with Zach Small, formerly known as Hunter Drew. He is the co-founder with Craig James of the Fraternity of Excellence and the Family Alpha is your website and your YouTube channel. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. How are you doing tonight, Zach? Doing well, Tony. Thanks for having me on. Good, good. I'm glad you're here, buddy. Um, the first question I want to ask you is kind of a biography. Give me a backstory on you. And this is a question I like to ask people is what was your, we call it an entrance fee to the manosphere? So I just recently shared a tweet where I said, you know, I'm, I'm 33 years old and I honestly look in the mirror and I'm like, how am I not 80 yet? I've had more successes, failures, like trauma and amazing events in my life in this quick 33 years that I feel like I've lived four lifetimes already, if not more. Like it's been a wild ride. So real quick, I, I my father was Navy growing up. I was like, all right, cool. That's what I'm going to do. I met a woman when I was 16, joined the Navy. That woman became my wife, deployed twice. After getting out of them, actually, on my shore duty, I was uh, about to hop out of the military. And I was like, well, where are, what are men up to? Like, you know, how are they staying in shape and getting out? Like, what am I going to do when I leave the military? And I came across this new subreddit called the Red Pill. So I was like, oh, I'll jump on there. And that was 2011. So before I was there when they hit a thousand subscribers and now they're at like 300 and something thousand. So all these guys wow. are taking the Red Pill. I was one of the OGs, even though I've been kicked out of there and banned from that community. Okay. So that's how I came across them was just looking up, you know, fitness, which led me to men's rights, which led me to the red pill, which led me to married red pill because I'm a family man. And that's what I was writing about. And I aligned more closely with those men. So from there, I launched the familyalpha.com, which is the blog, because I wanted to sort of spread my message. It was connecting with men. And then from there, it just started, started steamrolling. Started meeting more guys, came on Twitter, met men like yourself, your brother, uh, Anthony, I was invited to speak at 2017, uh, 21 convention. And then that is the real quick speed up to where we are right now. Okay. Awesome. Um, let me ask you another question. So you've been in this since really since you said 2011. So you are considered an OG for sure. I like to um, think so, but I think I, I they've, they've like, you know, put an asterisk or redacted my name from it because I've been talking so much shit with those guys for so long. Okay. But, you concentrate on family now your fraternity of excellence what is the what is the basis what is the foundation of the fraternity of excellence foe so when i left the military the biggest thing that that really struck me was that the mission went on and i was alone and i'm a pack animal type guy i'm not you know the the sigma or the gamma or whatever it is where you're the the lone wolf mm -hmm. i'm not that guy i need a pack I work well with other men. I like camaraderie, brotherhood. That's what fuels me. And that's, it makes sense as to why I'm a family-focused man is because I, I, I have my, my personal pack that I run with, that I lead. So when I left the military, I was like, well, something's, something's missing from my life. So I had to build it. And the Fraternity of Excellence is how that was built. You know, Craig James reached out. He's like, hey, I'm, I'm thinking of starting a, a, a site where we can get men together, a private community. And I was like, dude, I'm absolutely on board with that. And then we sort of going back and forth on what, what that would look like, how we would do it. And at the time, I was running a 31 Days to Masculinity campaign. So it's a 31-day campaign. Men come together, and privately, we go through a, a book I had written. So for 31 days, you're challenging yourself. You're doing different steps, doing inner work, outer work, your body, your style, the things we all talk about at 21Con. You know, we do that for a month. And at the end of it, that segue right into the fraternity. And what you see there, and you've seen this live, mm -hmm. is these men come together and you're, it's not like Twitter 
where you're just a username and you can comment and you can do a drive-by and go away. I see these men every single week. Just like I see you right now, we sit, we talk, we have conversations on life, on leading our families, our improving our marriages, finances, everything it is to be a man. And we're held accountable to that. Hey, why are you in the in FOE? What are you trying to do? How can we help you? If you're not doing that by the next month or closer to that goal, you need to get out. This is for men who are doing things. This is for men who are trying to go places and have that accountability and have what many lost in the modern world where there's no fraternity. There's no fraternal orders anywhere. You know, everything is PC. Everything has, you know, women involved. Everything, you can't just be a man with men. So we built that. And there's a lot of regional meetups where guys that go have dinner together. You know, I've had a few guys local, which grab a cigar, you know, two, three guys, sometimes five. And then at 21 con, you know, there's 15 of us and you could see, you know, we knew each other. These are friends. These are men that I've met and shaken hands with. You know, we do our own private events where it's 20 plus. We'll all come together. We'll get like a cabin in the woods or we'll do whatever, you know, and push ourselves there to just get away from the wives, get away from the children and be men with men. It's just, it, it fills that gap that I lost when I left the Navy. So for me, that's where it filled in for some guys when they left their sports teams, you know, from college. They graduated college and guess what? You're not playing lacrosse anymore. You're not on the football team anymore. Well, where do you find that pack? So that's where a lot of guys kind of find their way to FOE is they're looking for that brotherhood. Okay. You said something actually was one of the questions I wanted to ask you. And the word was accountable. Why is it necessary for other men to hold other men accountable? Only men can hold men to a standard. Women can say what they want from men, but that's entirely different. She's looking for a provider of security. A man is looking for a peer. A man is looking for somebody he can lean on and he can rely on. And the return is that you can do so with him as well. So if you're going in there and we're talking about, well, everybody's talking about accountability. You got to check in. Like, no, I'm going to see you. You need to show me if you're fat and I see you in three months and you're still physically fat, you're lying to me. So I'm going to give you a kick in the ass every week to make sure you're losing that weight. You know, whether it comes to bank statements whether it comes to interactions with the wife, we have a lot of men who are just trying to improve their family environment. You know, and they're like, well, I can't talk to my wife about my, my problems as a father and husband. I can't talk to my friends because they're going to judge me. So you can't talk to them about your sex life. You can't talk to them about deeper issues having to do with raising children because everybody is so fucking PC. Everybody is so mm-hmm. afraid to talk about those taboo subjects. And in FOE, it's the opposite. If you're not talking about the taboo subjects, you're hiding something. And if you're hiding mm-hmm. something, you're a liar. And if you're a liar, you can't be trusted. And mm-hmm. if I can't trust you, I can't hold you accountable. You're going to lie to me. Mm-hmm. So we built an environment that fosters that almost <laughs> oversharing of, of truths and things you're dealing with. That way, when it goes to living your life, your peers, your social network, your, your spouse, your children, they're going to see something different in you. Like, why are you standing up taller? Why are you proud? Why are you happier? All these fat dads running around who are depressed and, you know, the plow horses how come you're the stallion who's sitting there like, oh, you got a fire in your chest? Well, it's because you had a bunch of dudes kick you in the ass until you could improve. And it's just, it works, you know, when men hold men accountable. What do you do with a man that won't say, say, live up to, I don't want to say your expectations, but still has a hard time being accountable? What, what, how do you pull him out of that? It, it will be individual to the man. But this is definitely something we're all facing ourselves. You know, with each guy, it's going to be, you know, he might be great physically, but financially he's garbage. And then just replace those with whatever. You know, some guys are really good at some things. They're terrible at others. 
we've got to kind of form a program to the man. And if he, you know, he's kicking and screaming the whole way, you know, month one, still kicking and screaming month two by month three. I'm like, why save your money? You're not ready for us. You know, like there is a standard and, you know, you might not want to say I'm holding him to my standard. I'm holding him to his own standard. Mm-hmm. If he thinks he wants more, you know, whether that's money, it's sex, it's physicality, you know, all right, let's, let's work with you. But if you keep denying and, and just pushing away all the advice that's being given to you, you don't want that thing. And I don't want your money because every man that if I go to 21 con again, and you meet a guy from FOE and he's a slob, that's a reflection on me. Mm-hmm. I've got too much pride and personal honor to allow somebody to do, you know, kick the name FOE through the mud. It's the mm-hmm. fraternity of excellence. So these men are pursuing excellence in all that they do. And when you join, you don't have to be at level 10. You might be at level two. As long as you're working towards it, we'll get you there. But if you're talking about a guy who's going to just not do the work, he will be kicked out. You know, he just, that's unacceptable. Get better or get out. Yeah. Let's say they come back in four months and say, hey, Zach, you know, I want to I want to be a part of this again. Do you do you bring them back in? Absolutely. And we've had that happen a few times. You know, it, in this day and age, you don't you don't kick a man because he's not doing the right thing. When he comes back to do the right thing, you're like, oh, no, you're out forever. Like unless there is an uh, egregious offense, you know, that's a part of the learning curve. Sometimes you're going to fail. Sometimes you're going to get kicked out of the group. It almost takes more guts to come back with your tail between your legs, put your ego aside and say, I'm ready to learn. You know, those men, when they come back that second time, they've shown, Hey, I know what I'm in for and I'm ready to do that work. And they'll probably come back. I mean, from what I've seen, they do come back with a different, you know, vigor to them that now they want to prove to me, to, to the other guys, Hey, I've got it. And I deserve to be in this group and they do quite well. So yeah, absolutely. We take them back as long as they're ready to do the work. Okay. Now, there's a lot of, we'll call them subgroups in the Manosphere, and Fraternity of Excellence is considered a subgroup. How do you think the Manosphere in general has failed men? What, what, what certain parts of the Manosphere do you think has failed men? That is an excellent question that I have never been asked or considered. So on the spot, <laughs> I've got to come up with an answer to that. That's, it's a good question. You know, where do I think the Manosphere is failing men? I think that there is this, this hyper focus on certain aspects of life. You know, for myself, I'm speaking about family. I can't tell you how many times I've been called beta, a cuck, a government a wage slave, nothing but a plow horse, all of these things for no other reason. They don't know anything about my life except I'm married with kids. Mm-hmm. And it's, we create this, they're becoming this sort of caricature as to what it is to be a man. And in where in FOE, the way we look at it is like, you do you, whatever you want in your life as a man, go out and get that thing. But you don't get to throw a rock at that other dude for wanting something else in his life. If he wants marriage, cool. As long as he's owning his shit, you should be promoting that. And in the manosphere, there's such a divide. You know, there should be men cheering on other men. I'm friends with the playboys. You want to go out and have seven girlfriends? I like the Tate brothers. They want to go out. They've got cam models. How can I get along with somebody like the Tate brothers or, you know, Goldman, you know, with camera game and picking up all these girls? I'm a family man. How do, how can I rub shoulders with those men? Because they're men living authentically. They're men who are on their path and they're not taking any shit. They're not being weak. I cheer that on. That's what I want. Go be a man, own your thing, do what you got to do. And in the manosphere, I think we have such an issue with allowing other men to want different things than what, whatever that creator is saying. So if, if it's a playboy talking, He's going to talk smack about all the marriage marriage guys. 
you know, there's a lot of trad con guys. I don't fit even with the trad cons. They don't like me either. <laughs> so I find myself sort of in every group. And I think that's why FOE does well, because we are also just, I don't give a shit what part of the, the manosphere you're in. I want you to win. Mind, body, spirit. If you're working on that, you're cool with me. The trad con guys think I, I hang out with the playboys. So I'm, I'm tainted. The, the, the playboys think I'm too trad con. So I'm tainted. So I, I have the best spot in the manosphere because I'm not allowed anywhere. So I go wherever I want and do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Well, this is why I like subgroups like FOE. I like communities like 21 Convention because you bring a lot of different guys from, you know, you have your 21 Convention, which can be your playboys, your, your we can call them your slot makers or whatever. But you also have your family guys. But I noticed at 21, especially at the summit, everybody meshes together. So everybody lives a different life. So it's going to lead me to the, to my next question, which be what, what do you think makes a man in a generalization? What makes a man? An individual. So a male individual who does what he wants on his terms, that is what makes a man. And like I said, that's my issue with the manosphere. If I had to pick one gripe, if that man is living life on his terms and he's happy with whatever it is that he's doing, we should all be cheering that dude on. The, the asterisk, the caveat to that is that a lot of men are doing what they've been told to do and they're, they're living lives they've been told they're supposed to live and they're cheering. Like you're not supposed to live in a sexless marriage. No man wants that. So nobody's going to cheer that on. That's bullshit. You know, that, that's absolute garbage. No man should be obese. And then say, well, I'm a man. Well, if you're a man, you're not physically capable of doing so many things that a man needs to be able to do. So when we call it the fraternity of excellence, our big focus is mind, body, spirit. There's three elements to the man. You've got to be strong in all three of those. You know, and that doesn't mean top 1% bodybuilder, top 1% income, and top 1%. You're not a pope. You know, what it means is that you're striving for, in all those areas, to just be greater than the peers, that, that the average that's out there. And the average is so low. You know, Tanner and I recently shared at 21, we wish we were the average. I wish like all men were family men were in shape, had great sex, had great relationships with their children. That should be the norm. There should be nothing exceptional about me. The only reason Tanner and I are are into that category of exceptional family men is because the the standard is so low. And so I want those men to, to become men. So what makes a man? A man who's living above the average, a man who's pursuing to be better than he was yesterday. And without trying to fit into the box of some online personality or to get approval from some online group, it doesn't matter. You know, be who you are and not who you think people will like. Now, I'm going to that's going to bring me into the next topic, I think, which is labels in the manosphere. I had a I had a talk with Dr. Sean T. Smith about this. Now, he he had said that there is basically. There seems to be one group or one corner of the manosphere that is allowed to give people labels. Now, I labeled myself in that podcast I had with him. I said, well, I guess I would be considered a MGTOW now because I don't have a a steady girlfriend. I'm not interested in one now, but I also like, I enjoy the company of women. So I guess you would call me a purple pill MGTOW. So all these labels that they put on people and I'm guilty myself because 
because I've done it too, where I've thought in my head, I'm like, oh, that poor blue pilled bastard or something like that. Do you know what I mean? But what do you think of all these labels we put on people? I think we, we try to put a permanent label on a temporary event. Mm-hmm. You know, if a dude. Oh, that's good, dude. I like it, the way you put that. Well, think yeah. about it. You know, if yeah. in that moment, you know, he's being weak or, you know, oh, he's blue pill. Mm-hmm. Well, no, he had a moment where he was weak. That doesn't define the man. He made a mistake, you know, or, or he took an action or he has a bad habit, whatever. That doesn't define the entirety of who he is, though. And too often, you know, like I said, because I'm married, my whole life is defined. These certain men will want to say they know exactly how I live. I'm a, I'm a, a beaten slave to my family who just I'm a walking paycheck. You've, you've met me. If that was me, I don't think I'd have been invited back to the 21 convention to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not the life I live. But because I'm married and a father, that's my label. Stay in my lane. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but push against that. You know, it's mm-hmm. one of the reasons I am the way I am is because I, I refuse to conform to that, that, that style of thinking of, you know, it's just black or white. And it's, there's no absolute, there's no permanent action or, or behavior, set of behaviors a man's going to follow if he's living life on his terms. If, if we're to go by men going their own way, and you're going to say men doing what they want, then I would fit that label. And I'm married with kids. So then you have to, how, how niche are we going to go? Well, you're MGTOW to the, the fourth degree, not the fifth, because a fifth would be no women at all. You're just doing your career, making money, living your life. It's like, come on, why, are we, why do we even break it to that moment? I understand the need to give somewhat of a template. You know, if here's a man, here's a, a, a patriarch. All right, cool. You have an idea as to who I am. You need to have an idea. That's why we use labels. You're a man. I can tell certain things about you because you're a man. But we don't need to go all the way down to the the fucking like the the pills, the colors that are out there. I don't even know what they mean anymore. I like I don't even know what the red pill means anymore. And I, like I said, I was I've been here for a long time, almost a decade inside this community, and I no longer know what it means because it used to be sexual dynamics, intersexual dynamics between men and women, and now it's everything. <laughs> there's a red pill fitness. There's a red pill politics. Mm-hmm. So now I'm like, all right, maybe the red pill means truth. So when I say the truth about politics, you know, that's red pill politics. But then somebody's like, no, that's purple pill that you're saying this about. And I'm just like, I'm out, man. I don't, I don't fit your system. I don't get your system. I'm like the kid who's just not playing the game anymore. I flipped the board. I'm fucking done. There are so many philosophies. There's philosophies. There's a certain philosophies on red pill. Okay. I mean, I think undeniably, we can all kind of agree on what a blue blue pill mentality is. A blue pill mentality is basically, okay, I'm going to go back, either go back to the way I was, or I never, I never saw it. So that is a blue pill mentality. To me, it was the original red pill was sexual dynamics. So I think it's kind of been bastardized, I think. But also now something that I've been I've been diving into and researching and trying to understand the philosophies is MGTOW and black pill. And I'm kind of associating MGTOW and black pill as the same thing. And I'm not quite sure what it is because the whole thing of any type of, I don't even like, I don't like calling ideologies. I like calling it more of a thought process or, or just a way to better yourself. But anything that, any type of thing like that, I want to know the end goal. And if you don't have an end goal, it's really not, it's really nothing to me. That's my opinion. It's nothing. If there's no end goal, 
of your philosophy and what you're teaching, what's the use? So you, you have an end goal. You teach fathers how to be better fathers, how to be, how to be a good husband. So you have an end goal. What do you say about guys who, who again, don't have this end goal? I really like the way you framed that. And I want to add when I work with men. So if I'm mentoring, coaching, whatever you want to call it, if I'm helping them with life and they come to me with that label, or I've been MGTOW for this many years, or I've been blue pill or plugged in for, you know, a decade or more. I have to ask, you know, what, what does that mean? You know, and then I let them explain their reality. And the way I see it is before I can give anybody advice, I need to see how they see the world. You know, so you talk about uh, their thought process. I view it as a lens. Like, what is the lens? What is the perspective they're taking on the world? If it's black pill, everything they see has this black, you know, is tainted a little bit. And I've got to go into that mindset to see the world. To like, all right, this is how I can help you fix that, you know, adjust your perspective on things. If it's plugged in or blue pill, which I use interchangeably, you know, they're just still in that fairy tale. They're trying to show love the way movies tell them to show love. They're trying to win the way they've been told to win. They're following the rules that don't apply, that aren't real. You know, and I'm like, all right, I've got to work differently with that guy. You know, so for the guys without an end goal, you've got to like, let me see the life through your through your eyes. You know, what's that lens that you're looking at the world through? All right, now, where do you want to go? What do you want it to look like? And then from there, they decide what that end goal becomes. But like you said, they've got to say, I want to form a better relationship with the world or myself or my wife or be a better dad. I can work with you there. But if they say, well, I just, I hate the world on black pill. Okay. I can't help you until you tell me what you want fixed. I cannot give you any sort of perspective or advice that's going to help you get better in life or live a better life, you know, until you die. If you don't tell me what it is you want, because if I tell you how to be a better husband, and in fact, you want to get divorced and start traveling, well, I'm going to fuck your life up because I'm going to try to make you double down in that relationship because I think that's what you want. You know, so through trial and error over the years, I've learned you need to come up with what you want fixed and then you've got to call the right repairman. So with families, I'm usually that guy. You know, when it comes to authentic living, things like that, I'm the guy they need for that. But if somebody comes to me and they're like, oh, I don't want to do to deal with women or anything like that, I might pass them off to somebody. You know, like mm-hmm. I can't, I don't live that life. Single guys, a lot of them, you know, uh, Zach, what do you think about dating in modern day? Dude, I've been with my woman since 2003. There was no Tinder. There was no online. Like, I'm not the guy. I can talk to you about maintaining a relationship. But as far as dating right now, dude, I'm going to give you old school rules because that's what I followed and that's what worked for me. So you need to find the right person to help you find that end goal. And that comes down to how they're seeing the world. Okay. Yeah, because end goal is important for anybody. If you don't have a goal, my brother and I talked about this today. Um, What do you do when you reach your goal? In other words, what, what, what do you do? A lot of times what happens is when people reach their goal, they kind of get complacent and they stop. So once you reach your goal, it's always a good idea to have another goal farther than that. You know? So again, some of these philosophies, if I knew what their end goal was, I could relate more. So, you know, I'm the guy that's always searching. I'm always searching and I'm always interested, but sometimes in certain certain corners of the manosphere, if you're to ask a question, you're all of a sudden you're stupid or you don't know. And I, I'll ask questions, not because I'm stupid or I don't know. It's because I want to know your thoughts on it. And why are you, why are you preaching this? Why are you saying this?
you know? So, you know, like with you, you're again, right now we, we're in a pandemic. So how do you, how do you teach guys to stay in, in other words, keep their marriage happy? Because this is another thing right now is that that's an end goal right now for a lot of guys is how do you stay in the house and, you know, with this, I'll call it the China virus. So how do you, <laughs> the China plague. How do you teach <laughs> the China plague? How do you, how do you tell guys with a family? And, and I'll bet you you've come across this men that weren't used to spending a lot of time with their wives and kids. I would imagine that's probably a big one. It, it has been huge Obvi- for obvious reasons. You know, that has definitely been a hot topic. And my, my advice to them is it's almost the exact same as it was before Corona was ever a thing. You know, you need to have an element to yourself that is not dad or husband. You know, as a man, like, all right, you're working from home now. You need to make time, whether it's going to the gym, going to for a hike, you know, going to the basement to do whatever, or like for myself, going into the shed. You know, you have to have time where you're unplugged. You're not being pulled on, asked questions, asked to help. And you, you just maintain your frame and boundaries. So you do something for yourself. And then to take a, a large, you know, template and kind of slam it down for this, this show, you know, following that up with, hey, how do you keep things interesting with your wife? Well, dude, you just keep flirting with her. You know, like you're stuck together. You're, it's like you're stuck on, a, on uh, a remote island. You know, you don't just sit there like, oh, we know we're stuck. Like, hey, let's come up with some games. Let's start trying some new things. Let's start working on some stuff. You know, keep it interesting. Bringing new things into the relationship, new elements, new things you could do that you couldn't do before. You know, with your kids. Stop thinking that it's somebody else's responsibility to deal with them. Oh, my kids are annoying. Dude, you're, they're your children. Build a relationship with them. Get to know them. You know, and if they are just going like driving you crazy, find something that can channel that energy elsewhere. Because having a kid sit in front of a screen, it's just like twisting a screw inside their mind. That energy has to go somewhere like a dog. Tired dogs are very obedient and happy dogs. Tired children are the same. These guys think that, oh, I'm supposed to just sit here and then these kids are going to tire themselves. Like, dude, bring them to the field. Go kick a ball around. Go throw a ball. Go outside and do something with your children. Don't think that they're just supposed to go do these things in the world and come back to you because that's how it used to happen in public schooling. It's your child. It's your responsibility to raise that child. It's your responsibility to interact with that child. You know, and then you can balance that with your wife. You can come up with these new adventures as a family. There's so much to it to where I've I've seen it go both ways, though. Corona has made some families and it has broken some families. That's what's going to be my next question. Yeah. I'm sure it's such a divide, you know, it's such a like some are so much better now and some are so much worse. And it's because they had these people had no idea mm-hmm. how to interact with each other. It, it's like the wife who is married to a man who's always in the road or traveling or even in the military. Mm-hmm. When he comes back and he's always there, all of a sudden they're slamming heads because she's had a way she's operated for so long. And so is he. And now they're both stuck in a different environment. And you just have to find a new playbook to call your plays from. Have you ever heard the phrase tablet toddlers? Yes. Okay. To me, being a remodeling contractor, I do work where there's families and I'll see that they hand them a tablet or the iPhone and they're just, they're in their own world. These kids tend to get in a trance. I mean, they're actually in a trance. They're, they're, they are so into what they're doing. So I think a lot of, probably a lot of fathers or families hand them a tablet or an iPhone. And that's an easy way to take up the time. To me, 
I never had that growing up. It was go outside. And you know what? We didn't want to come back home. My mom would ring the cowbell. You know what I mean? So what do you do with your kids to something different than a, a, a parent that would hand them a tablet? What do you do with your kids? I'm glad you brought this up. And I hope all parents following are really paying attention right now because I'm 100% with you. We have a rule in my house that if the sun is out, you're out. So this today, like okay. I shared with you, I was raking the lawn. My kids were out the entire day because the sun's out. It's a nice day. You know, if it's raining, sure, we'll go inside, but it's not. So get outside and do something. Like I said, we talk about tablet toddlers and these kids are in that, that you know, trance. How many freaking fathers or mothers do you see sitting on their phone just scrolling? They're just as bad. They're just sitting on their phone. And guess what? The reason you don't know your kid or the reason your kid has such an attitude is because your child is being raised by that freaking screen. It's not being raised by a parent. So for me, I do a lot of sports with my kids. You know, we did a lot of guard work today, but most days we'll go to the baseball field or, you know, my daughter does cheerleading. So we'll go to a field and she'll do flips and my son and I will throw a ball back and forth. My wife will come along and she'll go for a walk with a friend or she'll go walk with my daughter while I'm playing with my son. We, we just get out and we're active, you know, and it, it brings us together in a way that sitting in the house in different rooms on screens never would. Now, I make my living doing this. I, I write, I work at, with FOE and I, I speak on YouTube and like whatever, the podcast. And that's how I make my money. So for me, I've got to balance making money with my phone and being present in my child's life. Mm -hmm. And it's important that you strike that. And the only way to do so is you make a mistake. So, you know, parents are really hard on themselves, but if you're intentional about it, you'll realize like, all right, I've been working too much. Let's bring it back to the family. All right. I've been with the family too much. Let's bring it back to working. And you just kind of stay between those buoys. You know, you can't be so hyper vigilant on like, all right, I've been on the phone for seven minutes and I'm only allowed 10 minutes a, a day. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. My kids, we have an Xbox. We'll play a game of like FIFA or something, but that's after we've read books. We've worked out. We've gone outside. We've done our schoolwork. We do all these physical things. And the screens are like a treat. You know, they're like a dessert for the mind. We'll watch a family show and then they'll go to bed and they'll read their books. And they're, it's sad how many kids have not read a book probably in the past month, if not longer. Mm -hmm. What about family chores? I know me and my brothers growing up, we had chores. When I say chores, we did. There was no, I mean, when it comes to raking leaves, shoveling snow, um, chopping wood at, you know, at 10 o'clock at night, going getting wood to fuel the, the wood stove. I mean, my dad was, you know, my dad, people, my dad was a Marine, okay? People ask me, have you ever been in the service? I said, yeah, I did 18, 18 years in the Marine Corps with my father. So, <laughs> do, I like that. <laughs> do, yeah, well, it's the truth. But do you, no, I get do you have a regiment of, of chores for your kids? I mean, I, that's the way me and all my friends grew up. Yeah. And that's how I was up as well. The only difference between you and George and myself is you guys had a cowbell. I had the street lights. When those lights okay. started like flicker on, I had to sprint home because if I wasn't there, like within five minutes, there was no dinner. <laughs> oh, you're late. Yeah. You can eat breakfast. You're like, oh yeah. my God. You go to bed with your stomach growling. I've spent too many nights listening to my stomach. But for my kids, it's very um, <clears throat> like gender stereotypical. My daughter helps more with laundry and dishes. My son does more yard work and landscaping with me. But my daughter is like a daddy's girl. So my son had the big rake today and she's right behind him. Hey, dad, you know, she had the little rake and I was over there, you know, throwing the fire. Um, she's always trying to help. So my son, I, he's 
11 now. And as, at seven, that's when we started our Agogi. You know, he's becoming a man. So that's when he got his pocket knife. He got the Red Rider, worked up to a 22. You know, he's he's got more responsibilities. Like like you said, getting the wood. We don't have a, a pile of wood, but I've got woods behind my house. So whenever I want to burn, you know, my son, I send him back there and go find some sticks. And if it's mm-hmm. the middle of the night, bring a flashlight, man. What do you want me to tell you? <laughs> so yeah. he does that. And she's still too scared to do that. But she'll go inside. She's always trying to help people. <coughs> So if, if I'm working, she'll come out with water. You know, dad, you want some water? Or she'll try to make me a tea or whatever. So they have chores and they're, it, it, they enjoy doing them. They enjoy having purpose and being a part of this family. Like they want to contribute. They don't view it as like a net negative on anything like that. Okay. So that's a really, so you're building a family structure, a real solid family structure. And I think in today's world, family structures are not there anymore. So that's why I think your work is really important. And you being, again, part of the fraternity of excellence and guiding these men, do you, do you call yourself a leader or do you guide people? Do you, I mean, do you like the role as a leader or do you guide people into making a family work properly? I think men who help other men find themselves in leadership positions, but you don't go out there saying I'm the leader. I don't ever think I'm the leader, but I do lead discussions. I do try to lead by example and show through my actions. Here is what I believe in and here's what I stand for. So I found myself in leadership positions, but only because I want to share the story to help other men, not because I'm pursuing some sort of internet clout. I I couldn't give a shit less about internet points. I've proven that time and again, you know, my focus is on helping men and you'd be surprised how many men join FOE and they bring more to the table than they're taking. Sure. They might need some advice. Like I said, uh, like I'm working out on dialing in their health or whatever, but they, they're bringing so much more to the table, like how they parent, you know, how they found ways to improve their relationship with their children. You know, there, there's so much going on from each man's perspective and each man in himself, I call it the round table. So we have our meetings and I call them the round table meetings because I'm not the king. I co-founded this damn thing, but that's just because I got there first. It's a round table with men coming together, all the kings of their own clan, and they're sharing their perspective on life. So it's not like I sit there and tell these guys what to do at all. I just share, hey, here's what I what I did. And somebody else will share, well, I'm struggling with this. And somebody else from from back, you know, back of the corner might help that dude. And I don't say a word. So it's not, it's not me getting this right. I'm learning as much as I'm, I'm helping. It's just all of us coming together. And that's how the network works. The men strengthen each other up. It's not one leading the way and everybody else following. Okay. Because when somebody like I had been questioned about, because I had said, this is my tribe. Okay. But what I meant by that was I wasn't the leader of the tribe. I was protecting the tribe. I'm part of this tribe when I say it's my tribe. And I think as as men, we are tribal. Like the FOE is a tribal organization. I mean, that's what it is. And I think men do want to be part of a tribe. But there are also leaders. And I like how you put that because it's not like you're a dictator. But some men do need to be led to the right direction. And that sounds like it's what you're doing, but you're part of that tribe also. You've been there, you've done that. So that's, I think that's awesome. Um, 
I'm going to ask you a question about a tweet. Probably it's probably been over a year or so ago. Correct. This is I don't I'm not sure if I'm saying it, but it's make your wife your slut. Is that kind of the <laughs> it's creating your slut. But yes, cr- creating creating your slut. So tell yes. me about that, because I'm pretty sure that went viral. So people get really worked up about that. <laughs> it's amazing how you learn really fast who reads your work and who doesn't. Because when that thing took off, there, there I had, I think I got a 24-hour ban from Twitter. A bunch of feminists like lost their minds. And if you read the title, it's clickbaity as hell, creating your slut. What man doesn't want to create a slut? He, he wants his woman to be his slut. Yeah. If you were to read the content, though, all I talk about is how men can make themselves high value. It has nothing to do with a woman. Mm-hmm. I talk about how a mindset can get a woman on board and she'll do whatever you want her to do. You're like the, the nastiest, freakiest things you see in Fifty Shades of Grey pales in comparison to what you can get from your woman if she wants you. She'll do anything. If your body is dialed in. And again, guys are like, oh, well, I'm never going to be 3% body fat. Dude, you're cutting yourself short. It doesn't take 3% body fat. If you can get sub 15, you're in a good cat. You're in a good area. You know, I talk about finances, but a majority of it is just how you carry yourself as a man. And because it's called creating your slut, these women lost their minds. But I cannot tell you how many DMs I got from men and women who are like, I love your work. This is awesome. I don't know why everybody's so pissed. I'm like, it is awesome. Thank you. <laughs> but I mean, well, there's, a, there's a trigger word in there. The trigger word is slut. Yeah. I mean, that's the trigger word. You know, with, it, uh, it set people off. Yeah. Well, I think that's good. I mean, you know, sometimes you got to create a buzz. But to me, I remember that just exploded. And that pretty sure that went worldwide, if I'm correct. It was on The Sun in the UK. I mean, it was in like a bunch of freaking magazines. I had some lady who's a comedian in like Australia making fun of me. And she's <laughs> like, it was what is an amazing video. Actually, I should probably try to find that because that is great content right there. That's good. That's a great way to create a buzz. Um, well, another topic is recently you have talked about sobriety. And That's I fair. think this is a big topic with a lot of people. So tell me, tell me about your, your journey into sobriety. So I am 104 days sober today from alcohol. And that is entirely because I realized it was a net negative on my life. You know, I, I've achieved a lot and people don't realize this about me. So this is going to be breaking some ground. I don't think I've ever shared this. I, I would drink till blackout. I'd wake up and I would go and coach baseball and I would write a a post and I would record a YouTube video and then I would go home and I would drink until, you know, I was passed out on the couch and I'd wake up and then I would do all these amazing things. And then I would drink. It was this vicious cycle. I'm the kind of guy where. If, if I have one drink, it like starts the engine and there is no off until I, I'm either blacked out or passed out. I'm drinking and we're partying and having a great time and nothing bad happened to, to ever wake me up, which is unfortunate. There are t- I've done stupid things. There are probably moments I should have woken up, but at no point did I say, you know, I don't have control over this because what man doesn't want to say I'm in control of my whiskey. I'm a man. I'm in control of everything. No vice has power over me, you know, and I'm just, I played along with that for too long. You know, there, I started drinking at 13 because I saw my parents. I saw my uncles, my aunts drinks made people happy. 
They made them funny. I want to be happy and funny. So I would drink. Well, one more drink means you're going to be happier and funnier. And I was always chasing that dragon. You know, there were times I drove when I shouldn't have drove. Times I got into arguments I should have gotten into. Put myself in really shitty positions I should not have been in. You know, and it's, it never clicked. And I never at any point was like, I should stop doing this. <laughs> this is totally preventable because I'm a man. I can drink. If I have to give up alcohol, that means that I'm a, I'm a pussy. You know, then I was in the Navy. You know, the military is very big on drinking. Or it's, that's part of the culture. So 105 days ago, I was sitting with my wife. And I had a, a glass of wine. And I'm sitting there drinking it. And I was just, I just looked at it. And I looked at her and I looked at myself. And I was like, I'm tired of being tired. I'm tired of trying to like fight to be average. You know, I had to fight to keep my, my energy where it was. I had to fight to just keep things like this. And I wasn't improving and I wasn't failing. I was just maintaining. And I was so fucking average. It started to really bother me. You know, I was like, I, I could probably do more. I could probably write three more books if I wasn't drunk every night. Mm-hmm. You know, I could probably record so much more. I could probably have a much better memory if I wasn't drinking every night. And then it really hit me when I'm holding that glass of wine. I can see it now. And I looked at her and I was like, I'm never drinking again. I was like, babe, I'm done. And she laughed. And I said, no, I'm serious. Like, this is it. And she said, okay. And there were two other bottles of wine. And we finished both of those that night. And we just pounded it. And that was four bottles gone that whole night. And that was just a normal, whatever. You know, four bottles of wine, that's average. Because we're party animals. But we can we can wake up and work out. We'll be fine. And when I woke up, I stayed committed. And my wife said, are you really doing this? To which I told her, yes. And she joined me. So my wife is also 104 days sober. And this is, it's opened me up to so many more things to where I hope I can now help other men who are stuck in that loop. I, you know, I, I see a lot of people blaming the drinker. You're an alcoholic. You know, there's something wrong with you. Normal people can moderate. And I, I can't help but look back. And now I'm like, well, alcohol physiologically is an addictive drug. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that my body was addicted to it. So I don't think there's anything wrong with me. I just think that's my body got really hooked on that. You know, crack makes crackheads. Coke makes cokeheads. Alcohol made me an alcoholic, but I'm blaming the booze. And if I just remove that, I'm good. There's nothing broken inside of me. I don't need to go to AA. I don't have any formal program. I just stopped. I just realized this isn't for me and it's not getting me where I want to go. And when I really thought about it, I said, what positive does this bring to my life? We all want to think it makes you more creative it relaxes you after work. All these bullshit lies. All it does is take the batteries out of the smoke detector and that fire is still burning in your house. You just can't hear it. Mm-hmm. And for me, I realized by getting rid of the alcohol, now I, I can see the fires and I can put them out. I don't need to drink to relax. I need to learn how to relax. I have a very active mind. Mm-hmm. I've got to learn how to do that without another substance to just calm it down. You know, I don't need, I, sex was never an issue. But for some guys, you know, they have their best sex when their wife is drunk. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to, I help them now, you know, for a lot of guys that have quit, you know, how do you have sex and have great sex and uninhibited sex without being inebriated? I'm helping dudes with this now. You know, all these guys are starting to come out of the woodwork saying, well, I have this issue too. And it's cool, you know, on that end that I'm able to help these guys. But I, if I had to pick a regret of my life, it's that I let this go on for this long. You know, it's, I'm really glad I got here without legal <laughs> ramifications forcing me to do so. And it's yeah. been nothing but a positive. I mean, people can get DUIs. You could, you know, you could 
it, it does, it, you're uninhibited when you're drinking. A lot of people, it kind of takes away that, just takes away that mask and you just, you just let it go. I know in my construction business, being in construction my whole life, coming back home with the roommate that I had and different guys, they would always stop at the store and get a six pack. It was a six pack of beer. And still to this day, I think, oh my God, you know, I know, could I drink six beers over an evening? I'm sure I could, but I would be wrecked. And I've always looked at it like that. So I never got in that habit of like, I have to get a six pack or I have to have a drink when I get home. In fact, I've always been the one to where if I do have a drink, any productivity is over. There's no such thing for me as like working out in the yard and having a beer. It just, if I have a drink, it means the day is over. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's a different, do you think it can be, a, do you think it's a mindset too, except also including being like addicted? Do you think it's a mindset? For some, absolutely. For some people, it is the, the way they, this goes back to their lens on the world. Mm -hmm. For some people, you know, alcohol, they can have that, that sip or glass of wine and they're like, just do it the the act of holding the glass and sipping the wine is the deed. They need that. It doesn't matter what the, the drink is doing to them. They don't need the, the buzz or anything like that. They need to hold and sip. And that's their meditation. So for some people, that's their mindset on alcohol. You know, for others, you know, you're talking about the relaxing. I was the same way. You know, recently there was a guy on Twitter who shared uh, how Ernest Hemingway said something about, you know, life and drinking and whatever. And he's like, yeah, you know, let's choose the guy who died from alcoholism, you know, as, as our example of a great writer. And I was like, dude, I did that. I idolized the guys who were like, I will drink and I will write the greatest American novel ever. No, dude, I would drink and I would write bullshit that I have to delete the next day because it was garbage. <laughs> you know, I would look at the blog post like, what does this even mean? This is trash. So let's delete it. Like I wasn't creative. I wasn't fancy. I was dumb. <laughs> so that just wasn't working for me. I think we romanticize it more so than it really does anything for us. But there are, and this is, you know, at 21, uh, a lot of guys were drinking, a lot of FOE guys. And I would just sit next to him and there was, there's no calling for me. I don't judge people who drink. I had to go through my journey. I had to stop. I stopped for me. You want to drink? Cool. It, there's zero urges on my end. There's zero withdrawals or anything like that. My brain just turned it off. Like, it's hard to say because some people have struggled really bad many times to quit. I didn't. I just said I'm done. And that's just sort of my personality. I'm all in. I'm all out. There's no toes in the water. So for me, booze are gone forever because it's just not for me. But that's cool. Like, I don't hate alcohol. I just hate it with me. Mm -hmm. well, I think that's awesome. And I'm proud of you for that, too. Some people, you know, can't. I, I don't even like saying can't handle. But when you understand that something is not working in your life and it's a strong thing to do is just to cut it out. That's a, that shows strength is what it shows. I know. A so lot it's of funny. You use the term, uh, can't handle. And that, that is one of the things that I think kept me trying to, because I wanted to prove I could, I can handle this. Men can handle mm -hmm. this, you know? And I think that was my mindset is to where I was so focused on not being the dude who was a, a, a bummer at the party or, you know, the wet blanket who couldn't handle it. Like I, I felt like I was admitting weakness. But ultimately, I had to admit that. I had to admit I can't handle it. I, I cannot have the drink. I will drink the handle of rum before I have that glass of rum and put it away. That's just how I work. So it, I cannot handle 
moderation <laughs> in any sense of that word. Okay. Well, it's, you know, it'll show, but that also shows in your work. Okay. So you're not moderate on what you do. In other words, you're saying when you go all in, even though it was the drinking, but you go all in on your FOE, you go all in on your family alpha, you go all in when you speak about 21 and speak at 21. So that's going to segue into 21. I've seen your speeches before. And I believe you told me at one that you weren't, you, you didn't do this before. But I can tell you that when you're on stage, you look 10 foot tall and you have an incredible presence on stage. And nobody can deny that, that when you speak in this last convention, and of course, I was busy the whole time doing what I'm doing. And but going in there and I could tell, like, when somebody was on stage, if guys were looking down when you were on stage, everybody was straight up looking. And to me, that's real powerful. So how do you how do you bring out that stage presence? Is it because it all comes from your heart? Is it is it the truth that you're trying to get out? Is it your passion? How do you draw guys into that? And how are you such a powerful speaker? Because my opinion is you are one of the, if not the most powerful speaker I have ever seen at 21 Convention. So how do you pull that out? I appreciate you saying that. I That is a very... Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. I do try to give well, it everything. Truth, man. And I'll put it like this. When when people watch movies, you know, when you talk about honor and family, you and I, I've heard it in your voice. You are also all in like you. Nobody will dishonor you. They will receive your full wrath. When you watch a movie, whether it be Rocky, Rambo, anything that has like a man going out there. You know, think about the gladiator when he's in the uh, the arena. He gives everything because that could be the last time he has anything to give. I don't know wh- if or when the next time I'll ever take a stage is. And that's sort of how I approach it. I've got that one speech and I have to say everything I need to say. And I've got to make people feel as much as I can possibly make them feel because I might never have the opportunity to do so again. That that's it. I go on the stage and I try to I try to set myself on fire to light their beacons. I try to just be that energy and and use it and push as much as I can to those listening with a hope that something sparks inside them and that spark turns into their own bonfire and they can go into the world and share that that light of like hope and and unapologetic, you know, masculinity and, and who it is as they are as an authentic individual. You know, and it's it's my hope with every single speech that I'm able to do that, that, that I'm going to give every, I don't want to walk off and say, I wish I said more, you know, I, I can't do that. That's just, I'm all in, you know, that's it. Like I'm going to burn out in that stage. I'm not going to fade away. You have everything in that amount of time. And when I'm done, there's nothing left for me to give you. Like when I walk up the stage, I'm like wiped out. I've given everything I have. And then it comes right back as soon as we start talking. Cause I'm like, Hey, I've got to give it again. In this conversation with uh, when I talk to George after the speech, got to do it again. Next 21 con, got to do it again. If I die before the next one, I want my kids, my wife, my family, my friends to look back in the last speech I gave and be like, holy shit, that man lived. 
my heart's going to stop. But those words, I want that to burn forever. You know, and now Anthony's got it going in 8K or 6K, whatever the hell it is. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to look fancy as hell on that stage while I'm doing it. <laughs> but I mean, it's honestly, we all say live like you're going to die. You don't know when you're going to die. We Everybody loves to repeat that mantra. I live that mantra. I don't know if I'm going to see tomorrow. So I hope somebody watching this today feels that. Somebody actually gives a shit. You can tell when somebody cares and when somebody's going through the motions. I'm not Mr. Theory. I'm not going to sit and go through and break it down. You have Sean T. Smith. He can do that. He's a very intelligent individual. You know, there are men who are are brilliant minds at the 21 convention. I just have raw passion. I'm just going to go on the stage. I'm just going to deliver a ball of fury. Take it, leave it, whatever. I don't care, but that's me. And it's my hope that it helps others do the same. What I was going to say, you, you, I, I would not call you a feel-good speaker. In other words, it's not a knock by any means. There's, there's, there's some things that, okay, you're going to feel good after you listen to this, and then you're going to forget about it. I think that you deliver a speech that is going to, we're going to go back to the beginning of this, but you hold men accountable when you talk also. So not that they're going to feel bad, but they're going to get you're going to get the gears turning is what you do when you speak to these guys, because you got my gears turning a few times. I know that just from personal effect. Um, I've, I've seen speakers where you feel good and, you know, you get done. And then five minutes later, you kind of forget about what he says. So somebody who has the passion and the power to speak and you can tell is willing and ready and able to help men, to me, that's important. That's that's what I see when you speak. Now, when you're walking back and forth, I, I notice you like to walk back and forth too. Is that is that just something that is like you're trying to get that energy out? <laughs> I don't even. Know. I black out when I'm up there, but yeah, I'm probably pacing okay. it. You know, it's weird to try to like look at myself while I'm doing it. So I, I don't really have a great objective view except for the speeches I've seen, but it's sort of like a prowl and I'm a little pissed off when I'm talking and I yell. I, the best testimonial I've ever gotten was from Goldman. He, somebody asked him because they missed the speech, how I did. It might've been you, you know, but somebody's like, well, how, how did the Zach do? And he's like, well, you know, he went on stage and yelled at the crowd and then left. So he did. All right. I was like, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I just go on and I'm like, I'm there. I'm giving you my time. I'm missing my children, my wife. Like, I'm giving you time. I, you better be paying attention and taking uh-huh. the time to, you know, take some notes and take some of this away. Because if not, you're wasting my time and get the hell out. You you bought uh-huh. a ticket to 21 Con to improve yourself. I'm here to give you advice to improve. So go improve. Go take some actions. I get pissed off when I'm up there, to be honest. And no, that's the attitude I like, though, is the exact attitude you just said just now. The exact same thing you said is the way you are on stage, is you're going to do this, or if don't waste my time, which some, some men might say, oh, geez, you know, he's, 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 um, you know, he's being mean to us or whatever. No, but we're there to be men. Do you know what I mean? So that, again, that's why I say, I think you're an incredibly powerful speaker. I mean, 2018, I can remember that like it was yesterday. So, and that was the first time I had met you. So, but um, do you have anything prepared for next year? So I write my speeches like literally <laughs> the night before. I wrote the closing speech to Patriarchs 15 minutes before I went on stage. And I think that was probably my most powerful one. You know, so I like to go there 
I like to get a vibe off the guys, you know, like sitting there and feeling like, all right, like what are these guys? So obviously with patriarchs, they're family men. All right. You know, and, and what are they, you know, uh, like in between speeches, they'll come up to me and just ask me questions. And I'm like, all right, so what are they, what's kind of the theme that I'm noticing? And then I try to really hit that because with that group and each group has their own focal point, you know, for some it's sex and marriage, for some it's relationships with their children. For others, it's, you know, not falling into that trap of redundancy without progress. I go to work, I see my wife, I see my kids, I go to sleep. I go to work, I see my wife, I see my kids, I go to sleep. How do they break out of that? You know, and and a lot of that is just once you get to actually listen to those men and not just wait for your turn to talk to them or talk at them, when you can actually feel that energy, you kind of bottle it up and it becomes a speech. And then you go on the stage and you you shoot it out and you answer all those questions at once. Mm -hmm. Well, you do a good job at it. That's for sure. (laughs) again again like i said just watching the guys you know i can tell when i'm looking at the crowd and seeing them focused you can grab the attention so you know i'm proud of you for that i mean you're what 33 years old yes so you know i mean think think about your future ahead and what you can do to keep doing what you're doing and you know being an older gentleman i think you're doing a great job you know i think if i if I had half the fire you have at 33, I might have put my fire to different things when I was 33, but I still had the fire, but you're using that fire inside you, I think, for a really, really good mission. So the last thing I want to talk to you about is when we talked about end goals, your end goal of your mission. What is your complete end goal, whether it be fraternity of excellence? What is your end goal? in your whole, basically everything, whether it be your YouTube, fraternity of excellence, everything that combined, what is your end goal? I want men to win. I want, I want men to win and I want FOE to lead the way towards that victory. I want men to start finding that sense of accountability for themselves and with their brothers. Through my, my blog, through my YouTube, through the fraternity of excellence, you know, I gave a speech to a bunch of high school students at the local town or at the local city, I had to do it through Zoom. All these teenagers, and it was it was young men, young women, and I, I just started speaking, and I started the same way the Twenty One Con. I started letting that fire go, and I could see them like nobody had spoken to them like that in so long, and they were like, "Whoa!" Like there's adults yelling at us, and I was like, "Good, like you should sit straight, you should be there and actually ready to walk into the world with your shoulders back and your eyes forward. You shouldn't just be accepting what's been given to you. Go out and claim what you want." Nothing's holding people back. We live in the most beautiful, abundant time in the world. Take advantage of it. These men who are, who are caught in this loop, you know, like I said, of just going to work and coming home and there's no passion, there's no purpose, there's no adventure. I want that to change. Man by man, it is changing. You know, you think that I go on there and I, I, I bring this fire through 21, you should see the men inside FOE. When we have our round table, those guys are, if not, you know, more angry than me and not in a negative way. They're not bitter. They're just like, oh, let's go. You know, I've got guys chewing my ass out about certain things that I've got to get better at, you know, so we're all equally sharing and it's amazing to see. But that's not anger. I mean, that's not anger. No, I, I said, I don't, that's, I don't mean anger. Like, that's yeah. why I had to clarify. They're not, they're mm-hmm. not angry. They're just, you know, like they're, they're, pa- they're as passionate. They're as hot. Mm-hmm. They're as much on fire about it. Mm-hmm. They're, like I said, like they're not bitter, but if I mm-hmm. come in and I'm like, all right, guys, I slipped up on this. They'll boot to ass to me just as fast. Mm-hmm. And it's it's what I need. That's true accountability. That's true brotherhood. Somebody actually gives a shit I exist. And I want men 
to go out there and to start instilling that in their families. And why do I say men and not people? Because I'm working with men. I do have women who, who DM and they're like, oh, my husband, look, give me your husband. I don't need to talk to you. You know, and the, these men share that with their wives. They share that with their girlfriends. They share that with their children. Once you spark the fire inside the king, the whole kingdom can light up. You got to get that king to feel it, though. You got to get that man to feel he's worth calling himself a king without having that awkward, like, oh, I'm, I'm not a king. I'm just a man. No, dude, you're running your family. You're in charge of that. You've got to go make shit happen. You got to take pride in yourself. Like Steve Williams says, you know, your last name, that should mean something. You know, I want these men to feel that. And it's my hope that over the years, you know, that that fire keeps growing. And all of a sudden, it's just a normal thing. FOE, I want to be a household name. I want that to have chapters across the nation and then across the globe. I have huge plans for what it is I'm doing. And it's, it's similar to Anthony wanting to change the world and, you know, combat feminism and take them on head on. That's me against all this bullshit going on against men. I want men to find brothers who hold them accountable. I want them to go out there and kick ass. Fantastic. Now I'm all worked up. <laughs> yeah, that's great, man. I love it, dude. That's I wanted to get you worked up because this is this is the Zach that I know. I mean, this is a Zach that I've seen for the past two two years or so. So to me, this is good. This is passion. This is fire. This is a message. Um, let's wrap it up. How can everybody find you? And be, but before that, do you have any books or anything like that in the pipe right now? Anything in the works? In the works, I have mm-hmm. a soon to be released. I'm hoping in the next two months. It's called the voice or silencing the voice of treason. And it's how to get rid of that little voice. That's always telling you, you can't do it, making you insecure, lacking confidence, you know, always that self doubt and negativity. How do you get over that? I spent five years in high school. I was the nicest, nice guy. And then I became a man whose nuts dropped and I ended up getting my master's degree. You just have to get over it. How do they go from one to the other? I break it all down and I break down ways that other people can replicate that sense of actually believing in yourself and being able to look in the mirror and see a king and not somebody you're ashamed of. So that's that'll be my next book. And how to find me? I'm most active on Twitter and I'm growing the Instagram now. Both of those are at Zach, Z-A-C, small, underscore, and then obviously I'm writing at thefamilyalpha.com and every single day I'm mixing it with the guys inside the fraternity of excellence. That's good, man. That's good. I'm proud of you, brother, for sure. Thank you. I, I appreciate your time and I'm glad I could get you fired up. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Really Thank you, Tony. Because that's, that's, that's the guy that I know is the guy that's fired up and ready to go. So I like to see that passion, but I do appreciate your time tonight. And I know this message is going to reach a lot of men for sure. So thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you, man. You have a good night. You as well.